0: This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Come on. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now your best shout ever. That was, that was probably the best one we've had in a while. That was a good shout. That was a good one. John chapter 9, starting in verse 1. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a blind man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It's not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the task assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming, and then no one can work. But while I'm here in the world, I am the light of the world. Then he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told him, Go wash yourself in the pole of Siloam. Siloam means sent. So the man went and washed and he came back seeing. His neighbors and others knew him as a blind beggar, asked each other, Isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and others said, No, just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, Yes, I am the same one. They asked, Who healed you? What happened? He told them, The man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed and now I can see. Where is he now? They asked. I don't know. He replied. Then he took the man, then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. The Pharisees asked the man all about it. So he told them, he put mud over my eyes, and when I washed it away, I could see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man, Jesus, is not from God. He is working on the Sabbath. Others said, but how can an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among them. Then the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, what's your opinion about this man who healed you? The man replied, I think he must be a prophet. The Jewish leader still refused to believe the man had been blind and could now see, so they called in his parents. They asked them, is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he now see? His parents replied, we know this is our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That's why they said, He's old enough. Ask him. So for the second time, they called in the man who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man Jesus is a sinner. I don't know whether he's a sinner. The man replied, but I know this, I was blind and now I can see. Amen. 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 Come on, give Jesus some praise. You can be seated. Hey, take a look at this video.
1: you something that's interesting 2012 robin myself and the girls moved to douglasville georgia Uh, that's not too daunting of a task but i want you to look this way with me 14 miles over my shoulder atlanta georgia 5.6 million people in atlanta georgia if that's not daunting enough 7.6 billion people live on planet Earth. I read a scripture in the book of Acts here's what it said, one You'll receive power to be witnesses and then the end result is something I was always excited about because it said witnesses to the whole earth. That's a pretty big earth and 7.6 billion people, how can one person make a difference? 14 miles away, 5.6 million. You kind of feel like how can I make a difference? Standing in Douglasville, Georgia 33,000 people call Douglasville, Georgia home. Still kind of dawning. How can one man, one woman, teenager, student, how can we make a difference with 33,000 people? Well, maybe scream a little louder, shout a little louder, try to get people to pay attention to what we think and believe. Here's what's even more interesting. Take a look over the side. Down on the street, I counted 17 people that walked by in about the last five minutes. Seemingly much more manageable when you think, only 17 people. Can I make a difference in the life of 17 people? You see, the lie we've believed is, I won't make any difference at all. 7.6 billion, 5.6 million, 33,000 people. I may not even make a big difference in the 17 people that walk by. I don't even know their name. But here's the truth of what I really believe God has called us to do as a church and I call it this, own your 50 feet. Everybody on this planet that believes in Jesus Christ, God has gifted you, He has designed you, He's given you talents, He's given you everything you need to touch your own 50 feet. In other words, right around you right now may only be one person, maybe two, but that's your 50 feet. And you see, God intended that the way we would take the world over is simply 50 feet at a time. That's what this is all about. It's Believer's Church going to the rest of the world 50 feet at a time, and you're part of it. Whether you're a missionary, a pastor, a dentist, a lawyer, a teacher, a student, whatever you are, 50 feet at a time, we can do it. The issue is, will you be bold? Will you let the power of God use you? Will you say this, and here's what I say, Lord, if you can use anything, you can use me. Let me be a vessel to help other people encounter you. That's what I want to ask you to do. I want to ask you to be someone that owns your 50 feet, that becomes bold and passionate about other people encountering Jesus. Hey, and then that distance around the world, those 7.6 billion people, those 5.6 million, the 33,000 in Douglasville, the 17 people on the street, or the two people sitting right beside me, it won't be such a daunting task, and the world can know Jesus because you became missional with the power of God. Hey, that's 50 feet. I wanna challenge you to do it, and I also wanna ask you to think about this. Every week, I designed a card that says, come here about Jesus. It's a very simple way to take a little two-by-two card and say, hey, I want you to come here about Jesus. Own your 50 feet, become part of it with us, and let's lead other people to encounter Jesus. how happy I was walking into Fabiano's. That's my 50 feet. (laughs) I hope hope the video blessed you and perhaps challenged you a little bit. We're in a series called People, and my thought was, how do we take the archaic nature of Jesus, a historical 2,000-year-old figure, we only know him by paintings or an artist's rendition, and how do we make him real to everybody else that's out there? to the 7.6 billion people, to the 5.6 million. It's almost just easier to think it's just impossible. Uh, I'm not gonna make that much difference in my life. In 1989, I packed uh, my car, I quit my job. I had just buried a wife, and I headed 983 miles to a strange state in the middle of the United States called Oklahoma. and. I felt like God had a purpose for me, though I did not know what it was, but I just felt like I've got to obey what I feel in my heart. I pulled into the town of Tulsa, Oklahoma, alone, no friends, scared. I was in my early 20s. I was a mama's boy growing up. I was the baby of the house. I'd really never ventured too far, you know, especially to stay on a long-term journey where I was going to go I pulled into Oral Roberts University, never had been there there before, I didn't know much about it, but I just felt like I'm supposed to be on this strange campus called Oral Roberts University to do something, I don't know what it is. Uh, I was lonely, I cried a lot at night because I had no friends and I'm a real I love people kind of guy and just laid in bed wondering why am I even here and so I had to choose a course of study so that The course of study I chose was to be a missionary. I thought the greatest thing I could do would be to spend my life uh, at that time in uh, South America. That's where I felt called. That I would live my life in Mexico, Latin America, South America. I would raise my children there. We would grow old there. And I would be perfectly content. So I took the course of study called missiology. And I started studying world religions and... Um, just everything you could study about other cultures and how they worship God and is there a God and our God called Jesus and then all the other gods and then suddenly you are in this awakening that in the nation of India there's like 333 million gods and and you're like wow I only thought there was one I had no clue I could choose so many and I just I was overwhelmed and my teacher gave us a book to read we had to write a I don't call it a report. We had to do a, a book critique and write all these papers. And so he handed us a book, and the book was entitled If You Love Reading, It's a True Story. It's called Eternity in Their Heart. And in that book, this scripture came up Ecclesiastes 3. It was the most life changing scripture that I had ever read in that time of my life, in that moment. And it said this Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. And then this next phrase, I just couldn't get past it. It it didn't even make sense when I read the book the guy wrote, and then when I read the Scripture, because the Scripture says that God has placed eternity in the human heart. And I just couldn't wrap my mind around that. Like, that doesn't make sense to me, because the book said that in every culture of every human alive on the planet, to every person breathing, there is a seed given to that heart by God. It's waiting to be watered. It's waiting to grow. It's waiting to connect back with God. And it's my job to go water those seeds. And I just couldn't understand because in my mind I'm thinking, how could that be true? How could there be eternity in the hearts of people? Because especially like a Jeffrey Dahmer when that was going on, how could a guy that murders people and is a serial killer and chops people up and buries them in his house and and he deserves, he deserves every bit of the hell he gets. He deserves to rot in prison. He deserves to be put to death. I just cannot fathom that God could put eternity in that person's heart. That person's a son of Satan, a son of the devil. How could God look and put eternity into that perverted heart? And then you, you grow up in life and you start bumping into the stories of perversion. Fathers that molest daughters and men who rape women and murderers who murder and all of the garbage that's in our world, and you read this, that could it be possible that in all of those perverted, murderous, adulterous, hateful, molesting people that there could be a seed of eternity in those hearts? Because my mind doesn't like that. My mind thinks, put them away forever. Lock them up. Send them to jail. They deserve what they get. It's why we have the law we don't even like it. There's something that feels good watching someone who does wrong get what's coming to them on a, on a superficial human level. There's this good feeling to watch somebody get what's coming to them. You almost feel justified. You feel a little, you feel a little better in yourself when somebody gets caught that's doing something wrong. But, but I cannot reconcile that with, with that. That was bothering me. And so either that's a lie and i don't believe that because it's scripture it means that i have to reconcile maybe what i think because i definitely don't think a murderous perverted adulterous piece of trash that deserves to rot in a prison cell because of the people they've hurt and the lives they destroyed could remotely have eternity in their heart until you wake up and realize the oh god the infallible love of god the infallible, gracious, miraculous, merciful love of God. That in those people, what I reconciled to my own heart was if that is true and God put eternity in their heart that that probably means somewhere in the journey of their life the pain overcame, the hurts, the disappointments, the abuse that they received became so heavy that the seed of eternity was choked out by anger and depression and bitterness and adulterous, murderous thoughts begin to take hold and shape that seed because if there is a seed of eternity in the heart, you better believe Lucifer himself is going to be pulling on the seed. And then it became, I became very aware that when he says that the, the eternity was placed in the heart of a human, that it was my job now to water the seeds of people that I walk by rather than being a, a, uh, you know, a, a person that kind of prejudges people. I, I sort of, you know, put them in baskets real need of who I think's worthy to have God and who's worthy not to have God. And I became convicted in my life that how much of my life I had wasted even, you know, up until probably five years ago, six years ago of how much of my life was spent on earth and maybe I walked past the person that was hurting. I walked past the pain. I walked past the abuse. I walked past the hurt because I, I got to live life, man. I got to raise a family. I got bills to pay. I need God to bless me and help me and meet my needs and heal my body. And I don't really have time for that broken person in pain who's hurting. Man, but but God, I really need you to help me out. I need you to bless me. That was kind of my life. Not that I didn't love these people. Of course I did. I I'm a Christian. I love people. But, but there's a difference between I love somebody versus I realize that there may be a seed in them that God wants to use me to water. And then I went back to Jeffrey Dahmer. You've got to be old enough to know who he was. A hateful serial killer. And, and I just thought, you know, God, I just don't understand. And then it became pretty clear. Just because somebody errs to the left, to the darkness, doesn't mean the seed wasn't there. Maybe somebody watered it. Maybe somebody didn't. Maybe somebody shared Christ. Maybe somebody didn't. I don't know, but I watched the documentary on his life, and uh, and as usual, I was a taken back at the hate and disgust of his life. But at the end of the documentary, there was some random person that said they felt overwhelmed in their heart to go share Christ with Jeffrey Dahmer, who in their right mind would want to go share Christ with Jeffrey Dahmer. Let him rot in hell. That's the thinking of the human mind. But somebody in the documentary decided to go visit him in prison and started going. And the end of the story is before Jeffrey Dahmer died, he gave his heart to Christ. One of the most murderous humans in American history. And yet, in some weird way, God found the eternity that was in his heart through the hurt and the pain and the depression and the misery. The seed that God put there was waiting for somebody to water it. Waiting for somebody to see the hurt and go, but beyond the hurt, there's hope. Beyond the murderous, there's grace and mercy for you. And it threw my life for a loop. It's changed me from that time I read that book. I've been wrestling with this scripture of my part to play in that big world of 7.6 billion people. What's my part? I don't feel like I make much of a difference. I may never get to other countries. I may never go to Pakistan and Uzbekistan and Afghanistan and all the stands. I may never get there. So I kind of feel like, so what's the difference? How will we reach the world? And you saw the video. The video was we just do it 50 feet at a time. It, it, it makes me feel a little more hopeful if, if I'm just looking at my 50 feet so then I can say, well, how many people at Monterey, have a seed of eternity in their heart? How many people at Fabiano's have a seed of eternity? You know, some all mine are food. I gotta get the ha. <laughs> How many people at Longhorn? Is that all he does is eat? <laughs> How many people at the gym where I go to the gym? How many of the guys I sit in the sauna with or I'm four feet away from them and God's got this little seed in their heart but Mark's just too busy scrolling and answering emails to To think three feet away from me is a seed of of eternity in this person's heart. And the water of God, the river of living water, the light of the Lord, the power of God is three feet away from this seed. And God's like, Come on, Mark, just pour me out, man, pour me out. I want to water the seed. But Mark says, Too busy. And I walk out of the person's life, and three feet away from me was a seed of eternity that was longing to know an answer. But they found it, but they didn't find it in God. They found it in other things. They found it in addictions. They found it in habits and choices. But two feet away from Minnesota was the river of living water. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. But yeah, I just, yeah, I just don't want to, it's just kind of awkward. And it really has caused me in the last year of my life to just be gut level honest with myself of am I passionate about the seed in other people? So Ryan read a story today that I feel like sort of sums up my journey and I pray it'll help you too. It's helped me a lot of how do we practically do it? I mean, it's one thing to preach it, it's another to watch a video, but how do we practically do this? You know, it's like I said in the video, we just shout louder, we post things on our Facebook, how do we do it? So let's jump in to John 9 where Ryan read. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, and this becomes pretty clear of why I find many people don't own their 50 feet. It's because we just spend our questions asking why. Well, tell me, why did my dad leave my mom? Why did my mother die? Why did my husband leave me? Why do babies die? Why do people get sick? Why does God allow suffering? That when you're a human, this phrase just feels good. It just, If you could just tell me all the whys so I could psychologically work out why I'm on this planet and, and the because, so that's kind of where Christianity comes in. We, we want to try to put the answer to your question. Well, why? Well, because. Well, why does God let babies die? Well, because. Well, why does God allow suffering? Well, because. But if we're not careful and we just live in this phrase of I just want to know why. I want to know why God doesn't answer my prayers. I want to know why God didn't heal me. I want to know why. We end up not really accomplishing the mission. Next verse, it gets more interesting as it pulls out. It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. And now what I begin to notice, it's not just why of life, it's who. Who did it to me? Who who needs to pay? Who's the one that's responsible? If not God, and I don't know why, well, I need to know who. Who was it? Was it his parents? Is it his friends? Who did you dirty? Who did you wrong? Who owes you an apology? We get stuck in the realities of life of who, who rejected me and who said the things they said and who gossiped about me and who hurt me. And Jesus steps in. And in all of that, Jesus, Jesus never rebukes them for asking the questions. Jesus never says, you guys are just clueless. He answers this way. And it's the strangest answer. He said, this happened so the power of God could be seen. I, don't, I hate that verse as far as just my flesh of trying to work it out. That Jesus could say that the pain of another human being is going to prove the power of God. I don't like that thought. I don't like the thought that God is going to take my worst moment. I was born this way from birth. I've got this terrible thing going on and God goes, yeah, okay, but it's that thing that I'm going to use so that people can see my power. It doesn't even feel good. It means out of my weakness, He becomes strong. I don't like that scripture either. When I'm weak, He's strong. I don't like weak Mark. I like strong Mark. When I'm strong, God's strong. When I'm weak, I hate being weak. I like everything to work. I like everything to fit in a box. I like the, But the, the reality of what Jesus is teaching us is the way He's going to stop being a mural that's painted on a wall, the way He's going to stop being just a bracelet we wear asking people what would He do, the way He's going to stop being a portrait painted by an artist it's when Mark Evans realizes that the regrets of my life, the hurts of my life, the pain of my life, are going to become the catalysts that show other people the reality of God. The things I go through where I, I bump into His power, I bump into His grace, and then I begin to become an example. Next, here's the thought behind it. Is that we've become religious but impotent. Meaning we know the songs, we know the creeds, we know the scriptures, but impotent. Impotent means you can't birth anything. Impotent means the inability to procreate, the inability to see new life come out. Religious, but impotent. Um, In in my life, I mean, this is a personal example, but it, it may help you understand... Robin and I got together years ago and decided we're done having children, so she sent me to the vet. (laughs) It's a lot cheaper if you go to the vet. (laughs) And the vet snipped and snipped and said, you'll never have to worry about having children again. I said, glory to God. Hand me some medicine, send me home. And I went home and according to the vet, never will Mark Evans bear children again. He said, I fixed you so well, you'll never have to worry. I'm like, good, because I'm never going through it again. And um, so here you see me. I mean, I look healthy. I can go to the gym. I can ride motorcycles. I can play racquetball and lose. I can, I can enjoy life, but one thing Mark Evans cannot do is have more children. It Now death stops with me. I can have all the emotions, I can have all the fun, I can have date nights with Robin, but one thing we cannot do is have more girls. Ooh, come on, somebody. (laughs) And the funny thing, it doesn't really bother me. It doesn't bother me that I can't because I, I love the four I have. I love the four, I would never trade them, I don't want any more, there are plenty, four girls, plenty. don't need any more, I've experienced every emotional gamut a human being could experience. So I'm content. I have no desire to have anymore. As a matter of fact, I have no regrets. I see my grandbabies now. I'm happy. But I think maybe that serves as a good object lesson of many Christians that we're glad to just have experiences and be emotional, but we're not winning people to Christ. The lost are not coming to the Lord. Oh, you're praying over your food and you're You're thankful and you read your Bible and you have your daily devotions and you have your giddy moments and you have your songs you like and your playlist and your prayer times but lost people are not coming to Him because we're impotent. We're satisfied emotionally with Jesus but we're not birthing new people into the kingdom. And that became a problem to me in my own life. I was very happy. I loved what God called me to do. But if I looked at a list of lost people, I'd be like, man, I'm not doing too well. It's not that I don't care. It's just I always had reasons. Let's read on and I'll tell you how we get there. Have you ever considered that your life story would be evidence of God's power? Just consider it. I bet if we asked my mom... Years ago, my brother was hit by a drunk driver head-on. It killed the drunk driver immediately. It sent my brother and all his family to the hospital. My brother was on the operating table. He came through perfectly fine. But somewhere in recovery, his heart stopped. And by the time they revived him back, his brain activity was not really great. Uh, the, The doctor had pretty much said... He's just going to be a vegetable his whole life. My mother was in the room at the time, and the story goes like this, that after she prayed and one day later, my brother came totally back to reality, and now my brother's living a great life. Right? (laughs) Right? Had you asked my mother prior to the wreck, June, your son's going to be in a wreck, but I'm going to really use it. I'm going to use your son's wreck for my glory. My mother would say, absolutely not. I'm never going to do that. Not going that way. Because nobody in this room, in their right mind, would ever pick to experience pain in your life's journey. None of us. We don't even wake up thinking it. I've, I've met few people that come to the altar to be married by me, and then they say, we're expecting the most miserable life ever, and we'll probably be divorced in a week. They come in love. They come happy. And even when you try to tell them there may be pain in the future, they're in so much love they can't even see that. But when pain hits them, when the husband's tired, when they're attracted to somebody else, when romance is at a low, we don't like to talk about pain. We don't want to consider that my worst moment in life could be God's moment of power. I don't like it. It it doesn't impress me at all. Uh, For those of you that have been here a while, you've heard my story. I loved God with my whole heart, but uh, in December of 2010, I I rock bottom life, committed adultery in a one-night stand uh, on my wife and felt shame, felt misery, felt embarrassment, regret, but there was no going back. It, It was what it was, and you either own it and move on with life or you stay stuck in regret. And I repented and I tried to move on with life, It's not easy to stand in front of people, two or three hundred people a week, and say, I have failed God, I failed my family, I failed my wife, but one thing I have learned, I don't want to spend my life here on this planet reveling in the pain of my life and the regret of my life knowing I can't go back, I would rather turn around and just own the moment and go, God, may your power be seen in the worst hell of my life and the biggest regret I've ever had in the shame and the embarrassment may somehow, how I don't know, but may you find the way to bring your power to give other people hope. Two years ago, I would have never said... Man, it'd be so great if my wife got cancer so we could prove how awesome God is. Nobody chooses that. But in life's journey, she ends up with cancer. And I'm like, oh, God, we fought through it. We went through it. we, uh, You know, I mean, we, it was a rough year. You got the, where are you? God, man, I don't want. But last week, my wife is on the phone. We're riding in the car, and we're going on a date, and she's just texting away, and then the phone rings. And, a girl from down south where we used to live was on the phone. She's been diagnosed with stage 2 cancer. It wasn't looking too good. And I got, to, I got the beauty of listening to my wife. Talk to her for nearly 30 minutes and share her story of how God brought her through the worst time of her life and Robin's story of pain and hurt and chemo and drugs and all the stuff she was on in the moment now is becoming the hope of this woman's life that God can do an incredible thing. It's just, do you you believe that? Do you believe that your biggest regret could come somebody else's hope? That your sorrow, the thing you don't wish on your worst enemy, becomes your hope for somebody else. It's difficult, for sure. I'm gonna put a scripture. scripture, I'm gonna put a picture of this tattoo up there because everybody's asked me, and it'll keep me from telling it nine thousand times, though I don't mind. I always told my girls I'll never get a tattoo. They're like, "Come on, Dad!" I'm like, "No, I want to go to heaven. I don't. I don't want (laughs) to." I got that Leviticus scripture over here. <laughs> but I said, Girls, if, if there's ever something in my life that's meaningful enough, I'll do it. And yesterday I laid on a table and I said, I want you to do something for me. He said, What? I said, I want you to put a bird on my arm, a robin, a robin bird. And I want you to hide my wife's name in the wing. And I want that bird to be carrying a broken timepiece because I want it to forever remind me that Ecclesiastes 3.11, God makes all things beautiful in His time. I said, so I want the hands pointing to the number three and the hand pointing to the number 11 to remind me that if I'll just give God time, He'll make everything beautiful. And I said, and I want that bird carrying that because last year my wife was proof that if you just give God time, He makes anything beautiful. I don't like that story. I'm not a real tattoo guy. But when he was done, I looked at it and cried because I thought, you know what? It, maybe it'll be a story that can help somebody else. Yes. It's amazing to me. You walk in, people that never even talk to you stop you now and grab your arm. <laughs> just, what is this? I'm like, oh God, I gotta tell this story again, right? <laughs> okay, you can take that down. You, you, have, you have to believe you have a story a story that's meaningful to you, a story that helps you. Now, I want to give you just a brief snippet of why most people never tell their story from what I've worked out, why most people never just take the bite and tell their story. Let's go back to the Scripture, John 9. It gets really interesting. This is why. He spit on the ground, made mud with saliva, spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. Here's the first reason most people never tell their story. They're embarrassed. They're just embarrassed. They're embarrassed of the regret. They're embarrassed of the failure. They're embarrassed that their marriage ended. They're embarrassed they cheated. They're embarrassed that they were addicted. They're embarrassed they were molested. The pain is just too embarrassing to go public. So rather than going public, I hide it, I mask it, I medicate it, I'm addicted. I have all these other ways that I try to get the regret to go away and the pain to go away and the hurt to go away because to stand up and say I was molested by my uncle for five years is too embarrassing so I cower it down and I'd rather take a pill and keep it quiet than to open up and maybe bring hope to people. So think about the guy. The the guy has been blind since birth. And Jesus walks up to the blind guy. He he has no clue what Jesus looks like. It's just amazing. almost went blind right there. It's like, wow. And the room just doubled. It's amazing. I have double vision. It's like, wow, it's full. Um, so, So imagine total blindness and some dude comes up in front of you. And he's like, hey, man, you've been blind your whole life, haven't you? Yeah, I have, man. He said, well... Your blindness is about to come, a testament of God's power. It's nobody's fault. It's because God's about to do something in all this pain you've been, the darkness you've been living in. You ready? I want to tell you how how most people won't share their story. Here's how it went down. <coughs> <coughs> and then tells the guy with two loogies in his eyes, walk down there and dip in the water. And the reason most people never become a testimony is the walk of shame is too much. I don't want somebody spitting in my eyes. It's too embarrassing. What, did you just make a fool of me? You just made me look like an idiot in front of all these people? At least when I was blind, I had a little bit of dignity about me. I'm going to show you what I think about your dignity. Because if you can ever humble yourself and allow me to work in your life, you will become a testimony of God's power. But my story's too embarrassing. It's not fun to stand up and tell people. And I hear people all the time will say to me, you're so transparent, you're so authentic, you're so real. And I'm like, okay... I'm glad it feels that way. And maybe it does, I guess. But for me, it's not, ooh, I just feel so authentic and real. Mm. For me, it's like, this is the most embarrassing story. I I have regret. It's shameful. It just makes me feel yuck, like every time I talk about it. But I've learned if I shut up, then a seed of eternity in somebody else's heart who feels hopeless may never find hope because I'm too embarrassed to say anything. And so I've just had to learn to humble myself, to speak out so His glory may be known. And you would be amazed over the last 10 years how many people God has shaken their life because of my story and brought them into a closer relationship because I was willing to look dumb for a minute. I was willing to be a failure for a minute. I was willing to walk around with spit in my eyes for a minute because I believed there was a greater thing happening than the embarrassment of the moment. So the embarrassment of the moment in 2010 has now become a story of power. Wouldn't wish it on anybody, but it happened, and I had to learn how not to be embarrassed to tell the story. Second thing, next scripture. His neighbors and others who knew him as blind and beggar asked, Isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and others said, No, he just looks like him. But the beggar said, No, dude, it's the same dude. What I brought out about why most people won't tell a story is because most people don't want you to change. They like the old you. They like the addicted you. They, they like you in the box. They, like, they don't want you to be any different. Even when you say, look, I'm trying to change, man. The world can't understand you can actually change. You can actually be different. I was watching Don Lemon. I don't know if y'all watched that, but I was watching the news with Don Lemon. He was interviewing somebody, and the lady seemingly was brilliant. I used the word seemingly. Because as she's talking seemingly brilliant, she says, well, here's what we've come to the conclusion. Everybody is racist. I hit rewind. I might have missed that. Here's what we've concluded now. Everybody is racist. I rewind it again called the dog over. That makes sense to you? That everybody is a racist. Everybody. Every white person, Hispanic, Chinese, Asian, black, everybody's racist. I got mad at my TV. I was looking at my dog going, I'm not racist. I wanted to text somebody. I'm not racist. But according to the smart person who's an expert, I'm racist. And then I thought, well, of course I'm racist because you don't ever want me to change. We need each other to be right. We can never tell somebody you can change, because if you change, you can be different. In 1968, my dad gets born again. His life flips upside down. He comes to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, and riding down the road, the Lord speaks and says, you cannot be born again and hate your brother. He was born in an age where racism and segregation in Alabama was at an all-time high. But not when you've been born again. When you've been born again, I can remove the hate. I can remove the division. But this world is working overtime to tell us you'll never change. We'll always hate each other. We'll always be at odds with each other. Hogwash! Get born again and you'll feel the hate leave and the racism leave. Now we may have to learn how to live in this life but the world doesn't want us different. The world wants you medicated. The world doesn't want you well. The world wants you sick. The world wants you addicted. They don't want you free. They can't even fathom that, free. My mother went to the doctor. She's 82. She went to the doctor and they said, "Well, Miss Evans, what, what medicine are you on? She said, None. Now, Miss Evans, you know you'd have to be on some medicine now, honey. What are you on? I'm not on any medicine. I'm perfectly healthy. You're on no medicine at all. No? Well, you're an anomaly. The only woman we've ever seen your age that's not on medicine. It's the truth. It's the truth. And then said, have you ever thought about getting the flu shot? My mother says, no, I don't need it. I haven't had the flu since 1957. She hadn't had the flu before he was even born. But an anomaly, a healthy woman in her 80s, not on medication, not walking around, pushed around, uh, half out of her mind. No, why? Because she's been born again and she grabbed hold that my old years could be better than my young years. I can be different. I don't have to grow old like the world. I don't have to believe what the world tells me. I can believe everything, but not here. No, man, you'll never change. You're a failure. You're always a failure. Don't share your story because the moment you share it, you'll fail again. You'll, you'll consistently be a failure. Next scripture. Where is he now? They ask, and I love this. This just revolutionized my life. It's okay to tell people you don't know. You don't have to have all the answers to share your story. You don't have to know if Adam had a belly button. You don't have to know what happened to the dinosaurs. You don't have to know where Noah's ark is rested. All you need to know is do you know you and has your junk met Jesus? And yet we've made witnessing so hard. You need to know the Roman road to salvation. You need to know scriptures. You need to have answers for everybody. I'm not against that. But I'll tell you one thing everybody in this room knows really well. You know you, your junk, really well. The question is, will you allow your junk to become a testimony of Jesus? So it's not, you know, well, I don't know, should we use King James or those New Age devil translations? (laughs) Ah, Do you know you and have you been touched by Jesus? We'll worry about the other stuff later. And I love his answer. Look, dude, I don't have all the answers to life. I don't know. But look at the next thought. Some of the Pharisees said a man is from God, he's working on the Sabbath. Others said, How can an ordinary sinner do it? And there was deep division of opinion. If you're ever going to share your story, know this not everybody's going to be giddy about you, not everybody's going to love you, not everybody's going to think you're incredible. You may tick off some people and you may bless other people. But if you're looking to get little hearts on everything you share, you will be a defeated person. Because when I stand up and say, you know, I did this on this side of the coin, literally, you don't ever need to preach again. You've become disqualified. You don't need to pastor. You blew it. Uh, You need to disqualify yourself and find something else to do. I'm okay with that. Those are people's opinions. But if I just care about all those opinions, I'll never come over here and share the testimony of what God did to hear people say, thank you for sharing, because I was addicted to porn. I've cheated on my wife. I felt like I was hopeless. I didn't know God could forgive me. I didn't know God could restore a marriage. But you'll never share your story if you're looking for everybody on planet Earth to be giddy about you. Not everybody's going to be giddy. But are you willing to share it anyway? And if you are, lives can change. One final scripture or so. Here's what he says. Now listen, I don't know whether he's a sinner, the man replied. But I'll tell you what I do know. I was blind, but now I see. Everybody take your phone out for a minute or a piece of paper to write on. This is homework. Class 101. Here's the, what we're going to put up. To start telling your story, you've got to get over the embarrassment. You've got to get over the hurt. You've got to get over the regret. You've got to get over the pain. That's the left side of the sentence. I was blank. That's the embarrassing side. That's the I wish I could have, should have, would have. That's the I want to go back and change things. That's the you have no idea the kind of person I used to be. If I told you, you would be ashamed. We would never be friends again. You would kick me out of this church if you knew half the stuff I've done. That's the left side of the sentence. That's the I was a blank. I was an adulterer. I was a cheater. I was a drug addict. That's That's the thing you really don't like talking about. It's the tattoo you got that you regret. It's the marriage you went into that was a disaster. It's the shameful thing you've been hiding for years. That's that. Period. But then Christianity is some dude named Jesus who was the eternal son of God bumped into the seed of eternity in my heart. And he breathed his life into me and now I am blank. That is the moment of encounter. That is where Christ captures the heart of other people. That is where the Lord puts a period to your embarrassment to bring encouragement to somebody else. That's where the Lord puts a period to your regret to bring righteousness to somebody else. I was blank, but now I'm blank. That's how easy it is to own your 50 feet. You just have to settle that and believe it. I'm going to give you about 30 seconds more to write it, and then I'm going to ask people to be bold and share what you wrote. Now, when you stand up to share it, I need you to shout it like you're proud of it. The left side, welcome to humanity. Everybody in this room has a left side. Come on, somebody. Everybody has a regret. Everybody has something we've done wrong. Here's my point. If you can't stand up in this room and say that among us, who the moment you say it, we're going to clap, like, yeah, it's going to be very hard to say it outside the doors. So, this is practice 101. All right, who wants to be bold and go first? Yes, Chrissy. I was a victim, now I'm an overcomer. Woo! Come on, Jesus. Sunshine. Woo! Yeah. Kaya. Okay. I, I all I can say is I'm free now. I mean I love the Lord. Come on, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, don't slow down on me. Yes. I was lost and confused, and I'm found in free. Come on, Jesus. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> Come on. Hallelujah. Yes. Come on, Jesus. <laughs> Come on. Don't slow down yet. Yes. Come on, God. Hallelujah. Yes. Come on. Give me a few more. Yes, sir. Wayne. I was a hell raiser, but now I'm not. Come on. (laughs) Some of y'all are like, man, I bet I know him. (laughs) Yes. I was rejected and now I'm accepted. Come on, Jesus. (laughs) Hallelujah. Yes. Hallelujah. Well, I'm about to introduce you to somebody. Band, come on up. Where's my praise band? Let's get them up here. We're going to go out rejoicing, shouting, having a wonderful time as you come. I'm going to ask Sam, Sam, would you bring your friend Anthony up? Grab a microphone there on your way up. I want to introduce you to Anthony. He's going to tell you his story. I was blank, now I'm blank. And then we're going to rejoice because Anthony's going over to to dedicate his life to Jesus and be water baptized by Sam. Sam, introduce us if you will. Go ahead. Um, I was a lost heroin addict and now I'm free. Praise God. (laughs) Y'all stretch your hands. Come on, stand up with me if you will.
0: Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit
1: mybelieverschurch.com. If there is anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Be sure to check back next week for a brand new message.